You are listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking, flips it down, the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast Part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it's a football Friday. We'll get the last word on Buffalo from Joe Marino of Locked On Bills. Plus, we'll hear from Josh Boyer, Frank Smith, Wes Welker, Matt Applebaum in a very fun Thursday morning media session with the assistant coaches. We'll answer your questions on the mailbag, pick the week three games, and get you caught up on the college football slate ahead and much, much more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Let's not waste any time on this Friday. We have lots to get to. Let's get to my guest, Joe Marino. Joining me now on the Drive Time Podcast is a man who does a little bit of everything. He's the co-founder of the Draft Network, co-host of the Draft Dudes Podcast with our friend Kyle Krabs. But today we have him on for the other podcast that he hosts, Locked On Bills. If he's not the most frequent Drive Time guest we've had, he's close to it. Please welcome in fellow girl dad, fellow big girl bed dad now who gets no sleep like myself (laughs) as well, Joe Marino. Joe, how we doing, man? Hey, Travis, good to be on with you. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're doing well. It was nice to catch up uh, before we hit record here and talk about those uh, those little girls that keep us up at night. There's nothing better than, uh, there's no reason I would rather not sleep than to, to be with that little girl. So it's, <laughs> I guess it's a little bit of give and take as parenting tends to be. And, uh, you know, speaking of give and take, this this series with the Dolphins and Bills has been more give than take for the Miami Dolphins and more take than give for your Buffalo Bills. And we always start these Friday preview shows off at the quarterback position. And where else would you start when it comes to the Bills than Josh Allen? And I typically rely on my guests to teach us something here. And honestly, I I don't know what else there is to learn about Josh Allen. We get it. He's a beast. That's what Tua called him at his press conference. Is there something you can tell us about Josh Allen that he's doing that we don't know about? Maybe put even more fear into our hearts? I guess maybe that he's a, a pistachio farmer. He, he, uh, <laughs> Perfect. He's he's recently invested in Allen Family Orchards in uh, in California and is uh, putting in pistachio plants. But uh, you know, I, I I think it's pretty clear the way he's elevated his game and, and the way he started the season, the way he finished last season in the playoffs. He's playing at a really high level, and uh, it gives you a lot of confidence from the Bills side of things and, and being able to show up every week and having a really good chance to win a football game. But Josh Allen just feels like since he's been into the league, it's been incremental step after incremental step. And I think he's, you know, you just kind of wonder, okay, well, how many steps is there? Is this, is this the finished product? And um, man, he's, he's in a really good place right now with how he's playing football. 
And one of the big things they did to support Josh Allen and early on in his career is something the Dolphins just did and have gotten good early returns here in year three by bringing in Tyreek Hill. Stephon Diggs kind of coincided with Josh Allen's takeoff, and that's kind of how it works, right? Playmakers need playmakers to be the best versions of themselves. And I, I was looking at the numbers, Joe, 20 catches and only two incomplete passes on the targets. That's outrageous to me. I'm curious what teams have done to minimize his production in the games where it has happened, because lately it hasn't. But also the follow-up, if I may, what did that do to open up other guys in the offense when that happened? Yeah, they're off to a great start, and obviously this is their third year together, and I'd say they're in the zone. You know, they're definitely on the same page. Week one, they're going after Jalen Ramsey uh, without any hesitation whatsoever. We saw what he did last week without Gabriel Davis against the Tennessee Titans, and so it was interesting. I, I went into that Titans game last week wondering. I said, you know, well, look, if Gabe Davis isn't available for this football game and, you know, is Tennessee just going to – really do everything they can to slow down digs and force Josh Allen to go to the foot, go, go to other places with the football. And then you know, you have three touchdown catches you know, or 12 receptions, whatever he had against Tennessee, it was like, well, it, it didn't seem to, to make much of a dent. And I think it's it, a lot of that has to do with Ken Dorsey and the design of this offense and creative personnel groupings and not necessarily having a whole lot of tendencies uh, with, with the way he's uh, setting things up. Uh, but you do go back to that Chiefs game last year in the playoffs where I thought the Chiefs did do a very good job of high-lowing Stephon Diggs, and that allowed Gabriel Davis to have 200 yards and right. four receiving touchdowns. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think Josh has become really comfortable adjusting to the way defenses are playing him. And if you want to take something away, he's going to look elsewhere and have no reservations about it. And so I, I think um, that's a, a – uh, certainly good strategies. You want to limit digs the best you can, but Josh has kind of proven at this point that he's willing to go elsewhere with the football and he's got a full complement of weapons and an offensive coordinator in Ken Dorsey that really is creative with personnel groupings and, and getting more players involved. It just seems like he's he's playing the position more than he has in the past in terms of like, you know, doing what the, the script tells you and taking what's there and you add that to the dynamic playmaking. It's just like like you mentioned, where's the final step and where is this thing gonna go, especially with all the playmakers they have. And that's, you know, kind of put a, put a pin in the offense with this final position group in the offensive line. One of the few positions this team kind of had some reconstruction this offseason, bringing in Roger Saffold at left guard. Uh, I believe Ryan Bates is the new right guard, if I'm not mistaken mm -hmm. there. How would you assess the way the O-line has come together here through two games? I think from a pass blocking per, uh, perspective, they've done a great job. And, and you mentioned Roger Saffold coming over after a Pro Bowl season with the Titans and then. Ryan Bates, who emerged for the Bills late last year, they had some injuries there at guard, and Ryan Bates had been been on the team as a depth player for several seasons, finally got his opportunity to play, played extremely well, and earned, earned himself a four-year contract extension. And so he's now your right guard. And so on one hand, you know, it is definitely a spot on this roster that has some shifting, and, and that's not just from the personnel perspective. It's coaching, right? Aaron Cromer, now the Bills' offensive line coach. But where... I take a lot of comfort in the way that it shifted is I finally feel like the bills got the guard position, right? Where next to Mitch Moore, since he came over several years ago, it's been a revolving door of different players at guard. And, and for at least this year, Roger Saffold being on a one-year deal at left guard, you feel like that's solidified. And then what Ryan Bates showed last year, and you, you certainly committed to him long-term now on a four-year deal as your right guard feel like there's finally some stability next to Mitch Morse to allow him to play his best football. Uh, so, so far so good on the pass blocking front run blocking. I think it's been 
hit or miss. Um, they've had some really good moments of displacement and hat on a hat. And then there's been other situations where as they try to embrace more zone philosophies, um, there's been a lack of communication and a lack of feel at times, I think, with with the way the Bills want to run the football. And I think that showed up early against Tennessee last week where they came out and wanted to be two-dimensional and run the football and they had a little bit of success, but there was uh, a lot of stagnant plays. And then the Bills said, no, we're just going to throw the football. And I think at one <laughs> point, Ken Dorsey dialed up 20 consecutive passing plays, which coincided with the Bills really breaking that game open against Tennessee. So it's this constant struggle of wanting to be a two-dimensional offense, but also realizing the best thing you do is throw the football yeah. and Josh Allen's your quarterback. And if you don't throw it and you run the ball, you're taking away a passing at them from Josh Allen. And usually good things happen when he throws the football. So there's a lot for them to still kind of sort out when it comes to this rushing offense and how that run blocking comes together with the offensive line. Not to mention when the, the coverage is good and the, the, the uh, routes break down and he just goes and does it himself and, and scrambles yeah. for big plays and runs guys over and laughs like a maniac while he's doing it. It's <laughs> the season he's putting together, the career he's putting together, just I can only laugh at it, Joe. It's, it's really impressive what he's done. Joe Marino from Lockdown Bills joins us here. Let's go to the other side of the football here. We talk about the reconstruction or I, I know one, really one move on the offensive line. Uh, to solidify that spot with obviously Spencer Brown kind of getting a bigger role too on that right side. But the pass rush was a spot that I know lots of Bills fans were eager to to add bullets to this offseason, and they got the biggest one, Von Miller, in that pass rush game. How has he helped take this Bills pass rush to the next level? You know, Von obviously has stepped in and been vintage Von Miller to this point, but where I think Von's made the biggest impact for the Bills' defensive line is how he's impacted the players next to him, a lot of young players like a Gregory Rousseau and A.J. Epinesa and Boogie Basham, young defensive tackles like an Ed Oliver, uh, even Tim Settle kind of coming over. And, you know, Vaughn said uh, something over the, the summer that kind of surprised me. And he said this is the first defensive line room that he's been in where it's the entire defensive line. It's not split out between kind of the edge players and the interior players. And he's talked about how he's enjoyed being able to interact and, and have an impact on the interior players as well. And the way that they're rushing is very, very sound in terms of being unified. Everybody's rushing with a purpose, with a plan. It's marrying up with the coverage, and they've been very effective over two games now, and, and they've gotten a lot of pressure on the quarterback and gotten a lot of sacks, and I think they've blitzed less than five times this year, and so they're getting that organic pass rush with their four down players, and that allows you to drop seven into coverage and really space the field and flood the back end with, with bodies and make it difficult to slot throws against a defense, and so I think Vaughn, obviously, him and his himself as an impact, but what he's meant to the entire defensive line and how that's sprinkled into the rest of the defense has allowed Buffalo to have a really, really fast start so far this year when it comes to the defensive side of the football. You took me right into our final topic here is that, that Bill secondary, like you mentioned, because we know about Hyde and Poyer, in my, in my opinion, the best safety tandem in the NFL. I'm sure you have the same opinion there. But they've gotten two rookie corners up to speed and done really well against two offenses that – you know, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, Robert Woods, and two teams that were a Super Bowl champion and a one seed in the AFC, and they played well in those two games. How have the Bills done that with Kyer Elam and Christian Benford? Well, you're, you're right. So far, they're off to a good start, but I will say this Dolphins uh, wide receiver core presents some very different <laughs> challenges with the speed that exists in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, and so I'm sure that's keeping Leslie Frazier and that entire secondary up at night trying to figure out how to stay on top of those guys and limit the explosive plays down the field, you know, for as well as they've played, you know, I, I will start there. I'll say they played well. And I've always thought of the bills defense, especially how they play coverage on the back end 
more about the scheme than it has been about the players on the outside because they're a zone defense. They run a lot of cover three, a lot of quarters. And so they're just asking those corners to stay leveraged and make tackles. And when you have an opportunity to cue the backfield and drive on the football and make a play, you do it. And it's really been about what they do in the middle of the field with really good coverage linebackers and Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. And then the safety pair that you're talking about in Jordan Porter and Micah Hyde, those guys really make it difficult to slot throws in the middle of the field. And so now you kind of funnel everything outside the numbers. And for any quarterback, it's difficult to consistently drive the football to that area of the field and have success. So this scheme is really predicated on forcing quarterbacks into having to accept low percentage throws. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of takes something off of your cornerbacks. And so I think that's allowed Christian Benford as a, a six round pick out of Villanova as a rookie to earn a starting job over the first round pick Kyer Elam out of Florida, who's rotating in, um, you know, that's allowed them to step in and have some success. Now here's the big storyline, Travis is what bills defensive backs are going to be available on, on Sunday because Dane Jackson and Micah Hyde left the game with neck injuries. Jordan Poyer didn't practice on Wednesday with a foot. And so Tredavious white's on the, the pup list. He's not going to be available. So who's, who's going to play. And that obviously presents a lot of questions for how Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier are going to tie things together on the back end to give them a chance against a really unbelievably dynamic pair of receivers in Waddle and Hill. That's that's why I go down the list here, and everything I look at makes this the game of the week in the NFL for me because you mentioned you know Leslie Frazier against Mike McDaniel, what he's done so far, that chess match. You talk about the matchups with the Bills offense versus the Dolphins defense and vice versa, man. I can't, I really cannot wait for Sunday. It's Thursday afternoon, and I'm just chomping at the bit to get to Sunday, get across the street over there at Hard Rock Stadium. Joe, I, I end these podcasts the same way each time. If you can quickly give us how the Dolphins are, can win this game and how the Bills will win this game, uh, we'd love to hear that. Well, I think that the Dolphins formula to winning this game is leaning on their ability to make explosive plays in the passing game, especially if the Bills are going to be shorthanded in their defensive backfield. You know, there, there's a lot of problems that Waddle and Hill presents. And, and if that pass protection can hold up and Tua can get the ball down the field, you know, they're going to they're going to be able to score. And so I think a big part of the Dolphins script on Sunday is going to be leaning in on those dynamic playmakers at receiver against a shorthanded bill secondary potentially. And then obviously being able to, to make the big plays that we've become accustomed to this Miami Dolphins defense making, right? They're, they're always seeming to create turnovers and get, make plays on the ball and, and even sometimes score on defense, right? I think that's going to be a big part of their formula on Sunday is those types of things continuing to be present for the Miami Dolphins for the bills. I think they'll win if their pass rush can, can win. I think that's going to be a big, big part for Buffalo on Sunday. You talked about all the, the players up front, Von Miller and extends to, to really eight, nine deep that they're going to rotate up front. And if they can, you know, really make things difficult for the offensive line and get pressure on Tua, that's going to be a big part of their ability to slow down those receivers. Obviously, of course, with, with the bills and in, in talking about a winning script, it does always have to deal with Josh Allen and him going out and being the type of playmaker that we've seen him uh, become. And so that's obviously a big part of the script, but I think it just comes down to, uh, obviously the trenches and, and the speed of receiver for the Dolphins, Josh Allen, and what type of players are going to be available for Buffalo on Sunday, especially in that secondary. Joe, you've done our offensive line preview for the draft process, I think all three years here on the Drive Time podcast. <laughs> and so it just makes me think about how much you must be excited to watch Teron Armstead 
on the snaps that he gets Von Miller. That is good on good, my friend. What a matchup that's going to be uh, on Sunday. Thanks a lot, Joe. You can follow Joe at the Joe Marino on Twitter. And since it's always draft season, check out his work at the Draft Network. And he's also become an author this year. Go Bills, a summary of every season in Buffalo Bills history is out now. Joe, thank you for so much for joining me here today. We'll talk to you again on December 17th or 18th. That could be a flex game uh, in December up in Buffalo. And then again this draft season, my friend. Thanks for having me, Travis. Appreciate it. I hope everyone enjoys the game. And there he goes, Joe Marino. I, too, hope everyone enjoys the game because that would mean a Dolphins victory. And a 3-0 start sure would be fun to the season. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back on the other side and hear from the Dolphins' assistant coaches who spoke to the media on Thursday morning. That's next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Our first assistant coach, Today on the Drive Time Podcast, talking about the Buffalo Bills, but as well as our own team. Lots of good stuff from these coaches. Go check out the YouTube channel for these press conferences in their full, uh, in their entirety. That was the wrong word. Let's go ahead and start here with Josh Boyer, who was asked about Zach Sealer's playing time and production and the reasoning behind that as far as is he playing more because of certain need or because of his own production. Josh Boyer answers that. Then I'm going to go ahead and clip on the second part when I asked Coach about short yardage defense because the Dolphins have three fourth down stops in short yardage in just two games. We talked about Zach Sealer on the uh, Wednesday podcast after the Patriots game and did a deep dive about his recent stretches of short yardage defense over the last couple of years and how good he's been. They got two more on Sunday. So here's Josh Boyer talking about Zach Sealer and then short yardage defense for the Miami Dolphins. I, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, you know, obviously we feel very comfortable when Zach's out on the field in all situations. And like we do with all of our packages, um, we, we try to put guys in, in good spots. Um, and Zach's been a productive player for us. Uh, I would say he, he works very hard at his craft. And I think he's shown constant improvement since the day he's been here. And I think he's continuing to improve. And I think he's really becoming a um, – like, we have a lot of leaders on defense, and there's a lot of, you know, I know people talk about leadership a lot, but, like, you know, there's different ways you can lead, and I think we have a, a good group of, of men that uh, work hard, and I think Zach, by example of the way he works and the way that he produces on the field, I think guys have a lot of respect for him. Well, I think it's a mentality, and I think, you know, I think the one thing that, that that is definitely st stand out about our, our group of guys. And I think you can appreciate is, you know, basically the first, you know, drive of the game, if you will, it was basically a 20 play drive and we end up, you know, an inch away from a touchdown. And I think our guys mentality, and there's a lot of second and one stops there are a lot of third and one stops, um, you know, and obviously we, we got to do a better job of getting off the field when we have opportunities. Um, but I would say it's a mentality. Um, you know, uh, a lot of times it's somebody beating somebody on a block. You know, it comes down to blocking and tackling, pad level. Uh, usually you're going to have a body for a body um, in those situations. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, our guys play with really good effort and in getting to the ball. Um, you know, the, and obviously, the, you know, sometimes there's a lot of variables that can go into those plays. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a credit to our players um, that they really defend every blade of grass that's out there, you know. Now, it doesn't always work in our favor, 
but you know we're, we're going to get that effort and I think they know and understand you know what we're trying to defend while we're out there Really good stuff there from Coach Boyer. I thought the defending every blade of grass aspect of that answer was really good. All these assistant coaches, man, are so good at explaining things to us and just giving us details to teach us more about this football team, which, as you know, uh, is the purpose of this podcast. Let's go ahead and move next to offensive coordinator Frank Smith, who I just... I'm going to listen up, Coach, because I love when you tell us this stuff. First, he was asked about Alec Ingold. We'll separate this one into all three answers. We're going to go Alec Ingold, Tyreek Hill, and Jalen Waddell, and Connor Williams. Dolphins fullback here first from OC Frank Smith. That was one of the best parts about being able to get him here was just uh, knowing who he is as a person. Uh, I mean, he's a college free agent who was the team captain in his third year uh, in uh, Las Vegas, so... Uh, honestly, I could say we're not surprised with uh, the play he's producing right now. Coming off an injury, uh, just knowing his work ethic, his commitment, his diligence, I mean, uh, honestly, we're very pleased with what he's done so far and not surprised by what he's been able to bring to this offense through his uh, style his style of play, his leadership, and just overall um, being such a, a smart football player that really understands uh, the big picture. And I think it stems back to like we were talking about uh, last week, Barry, of he was a high school quarterback. So he just has a really good uh, understanding of what the offense is trying to do and just overall understanding what football is. Next, he'll talk about Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. This first quote about the representation of practice habits really got me pumped up in that press conference room. Yeah, it's been, I mean, really last Sunday was a great representation of a lot of our practice habits being able to go to the game, especially in critical moments. Uh, but when you have uh, wideouts with the skill set that they do, it really allows us to uh, use the field in a way to create space and attack the space. Um, I think the both of them, too, are really working so well together, working with Tua. Uh, Wes has done a tremendous job, obviously, uh, teaching the offense, fundamental skills. So, I mean, overall, like, I mean, just been very pleased with what they've been able to do so far and really excited for this Sunday and just being able to build upon last week. And then I think overall the entire offense feeds upon those guys when they're, uh, you know, out there just making plays and playing within the timing and the framework of the offense. And finishing up on Connor Williams, who I asked about the, the impact that Connor has had in terms of not just the play, which has been very good through two games, obviously, but the, the ripple effect of his intelligence and that position we talked about all offseason long. Daniel Jeremiah telling us in the podcast, like, you got to be able to move and you have to be intelligent to play that position in this offense. Connor's showing you both of those things. So I asked Coach to help us out with the kind of intangible things that he you can discover from the way he communicates, gets protections called, and helps this team pick up the rush games that has been so good so far through two games. A big improvement or what we've seen for a long time on this O-line. Here's Coach talking about Connor Williams. Yeah, I mean... I we can't speak highly enough about what Connor's been able to do. I mean, making the transition from guard to center uh, is not as easy as it appears, or I should say as more as he's making it look. Um, to be able to go on the road and execute uh, the way he's done has been just tremendous. I think it really stands to who he is as a person. I know uh, Matt, Lem, Mike, all the guys in the line room, uh, myself, we've all really uh, throughout spring, just helping them understand what the system's about, how we identify things, how we communicate, and how it, the center's a driving force to that. And he really embraced it. In many ways, he said, 
you know, when you play other positions, sometimes you, you learn in a way for a play. And then as he came here in spring, he really had to learn, uh, you know, it was really a great education of defense. And he really took to it. I mean, hell, his, his brother's a coach. So, I mean, you can see football runs in the blood. So just overall what he's been able to do and how he's been able to execute and communicate with the guys and uh, build confidence in the group has really been tremendous. We've been really uh, proud of what he's, he's been able to do so far. I'm sure Tron's excited. I mean, it's the great competitors always want the greatest challenges. Uh, I know that the years of them going against each other uh, – you know, I know a lot of the times in Denver, Vaughn lined up on the right, but uh, ultimately, I think great players want great competition to bring out their best, and they want the best from the other side. So uh, we're looking forward to the challenge uh, that their defense is going to present. I know Tehran specifically, like the rest of the linemen, are uh, enjoying playing in uh, big moments and big games. Kind of in that same vein, I wanted to ask Coach Matt Applebaum, the Dolphins' O-line coach, about Tehran Armstead, kind of that similar perspective about referring to that the game-winning drive on Sunday when Tehran was you know kind of putting the the hands down motion like let's let's stay calm let's stay in rhythm here and we got plenty of time on the clock and just kind of get everybody you know in the right frame of mind it looked like from the TV viewer so I asked coach about that and the ripple effect that Tehran has on the rest of the offensive line well he took it a step further and says it's not just the O-line it's the entire team I think uh, he has a ripple effect on the team I mean, I think it's been like that since the day he joined the team. You know, I mean, again, pro's pro, um, very smart, articulate man, knows not only what he needs to do, but what everyone needs to be doing in terms of scheme, technique, and just like behavior stuff. So uh, I think there's a ripple effect on the whole team with Tehran. Uh, that was a, um, you know, I saw that little clip, and I think that was a cool moment. But, I mean, that's something that he brings to the table every day. We'll stay here with Coach Applebaum talking about Greg Little. I love the way Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald phrased this question about what NFL skill sets that we that people saw in him to make him a high draft pick when he was selected by the Carolina Panthers in the second round manifested itself in the game on Sunday. Here's Coach Applebaum talking about the Dolphins' right tackle, Greg Little. I mean, the guy's got a lot of physical tools. I mean, there's a reason he was a high pick. I mean, he's probably six foot six, 325 pounds. He's got long arms, good feet, can bend. I mean, those guys don't grow on trees. So, I mean, that, you know, that's what everyone saw when he was coming out, you know. Um, and in terms of manifesting itself on the game, I mean, I think he just was locked in and ready to play and he went out and executed his job. You know, I don't, I'm not going to speak on the things that have happened to him or haven't happened to him in the past because I had nothing to do with any of that, good or bad, you know. Uh, just I know that since I've been here, Greg's done everything we've asked, um, and I'm really happy that he's been able to go out there and perform. Let's go ahead and finish up with Wes Welker here, who was asked a question about the greatest Washington State Cougar history and the history of Washington State Cougar receivers. River Craycraft, go Cougs. <laughs> I'm keeping it in, I don't care. Uh, here's Wes Welker talking about River Craycraft and some of the qualities that he's shown to make him an NFL receiver. Yeah, no, I, I think it just has to do with his work ethic and, and how much time, you know, until he thinks about football all the time, off days, he's always up here, um, always doing extra after practice, even during the spring and all those different things, um, you know, it all adds up. So um, to me, it's just the work that he's put in and he listens and he's 
on time and he's he just does everything right uh the way you want a, a professional athlete to go about his business so um you know really really happy for him and and um you know hope he hope he continues to to go down that path which i know he will you know i loved hearing that coach also had a great response about eric Ezukama's playing time and the challenges for a rookie to get up to speed in all the roles required of a receiver that's going to be your fourth fifth sixth receiver on game day because they have to know all the positions and the dolphins are fortunate enough right now to where they don't have to force him out there before he's ready and how difficult it is for a rookie to get himself in that position. It's a beneficial situation for this Dolphins offense. And a big reason for that is because the Dolphins are loaded up top. Here's Coach Wes Welker talking about the number one and number three leading receivers in the National Football League, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, their speed, but what especially makes them special. Here's Coach. Um, You know, I yeah, I mean, their speed is, it's like, it's really changed my perspective on on the receiver position. Um, not totally changed my perspective, but not only do they have speed, but they're dogs and they're tough. Um, it's very rare to find guys that are that fast, that explosive, but aren't track guys. They're tough. They're hard nosed. They want to win. They compete. Um, they bring it every day on the practice field. Um, all those different things, um, you know, I think that's what sets them apart. And I think it's what sets most receivers apart um, is the mindset that they bring each and every day um, to want to be great and want to win and want to be successful and, and understanding that, you know, there's a guy lined up across from me and I'm going to win. And uh, to have two guys like that with that kind of talent, um, and that kind of speed just puts so much stress on a defense. And, um, you know, we're very fortunate to have uh, two guys like that. And, you know, um, still a lot of things that we can improve. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I think we're, we're definitely heading in the right direction. Awesome stuff there from the coaches. There are more. We had some uh, Sam Madison and Danny Crossman. I just didn't put the audio uh, in the podcast here. Get to the YouTube channel. Check that out. Let's do week three picks real quick. We'll take our last break and come back and finish up with Mailbag and the college football landscape over this coming weekend. 20-11-1 on the season. That's less than two-thirds, so less than 66%. We're shooting for 72%, which means we're missing our goal, which means I'm not doing it anymore. See ya. I'm just kidding. I'm back. Uh, Pittsburgh over Cleveland. We took that on Thursday. We'll see if that came true. Buffalo over Miami. I'm, I'm making a rule. I'm not picking the Dolphins to beat the Bills until it happens. So there you go. I do believe it'll be a very competitive game. Uh, maybe 38-31 type of game. We'll see. Houston over Chicago. Tennessee over the Raiders. That was the toughest one of the week. Tennessee and Las Vegas. Uh, cornered animal game, as the Around the NFL podcast would call it. Give me the Tannehills over the cars. Kansas City over Indianapolis. Minnesota over Detroit, Baltimore big over the Patriots. Give me the Eagles over the Commanders because it's time to go ahead and start thinking about maybe beginning to take command and they haven't done it yet. The Bengals over the Giants. Give me the Saints over the Panthers. I'll take the Chargers over the Jaguars. The Rams over the Cardinals. That was a tough one too, but give me the Rams in that one. The Falcons over the Seahawks. I'll take the Bucks over the Packers. That was another one that was tricky, but... The Packers' weapons right now, they, they got some time to get up to speed, but right now it's not clicking for them. I'll take the Broncos over the Niners on Sunday night. I can't wait to watch that game. It's uh, interesting to keep an eye on the Niners this year with that first-round draft pick. And then the worst Monday night game I've ever seen, Cowboys over Giants. I'll be doing something else on Monday night. There you go. 
not feeling tons of upsets this week. Let's take our last break and come back and do the mailbag and finish up with the college three-pack on the other side. That's next, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. The week three mailbag went up on Thursday morning. You guys wrote in a lot. We had over 50 responses, I think, this week. We'll do three here, three on the dot com as well. And we start with at Neon Leon Baby One. What a handle. Neon Leon Baby One. Pass rush so far has been quiet. Can we get enough pressure on Allen? And will Tyndall be a spotter on Josh Allen? I do not know the second part with regards to the spy on Josh Allen. I'm curious, like you, to see the game plan. I know that a lot of teams in the past have really made sure to just be rush lane, gap sound, and make sure they have eyes on the quarterback at all times. If you start to just blow by your man, then 17 can step up off the spot. And if you lose sight of him, then it's too late. So you can't let that happen. As for the pass rush, yeah, I think that's one area the Dolphins can certainly elevate and increase the manner in which they play complementary football. The Ravens game is tough. They were often favorable down distances. They were up 21 points at two different points of the game. They play a ton of heavy tight personnel where the tight ends and backs stay in. So you have kind of different gaps and responsibilities within your technique. And then you have the greatest athlete the position has ever seen besides maybe Michael Vick. But I thought the pass rush did a good job in the Patriots game. Three sacks, one produced a touchdown on defense. Another hurry helped produce that Xavier Howard tipped pass to Javon Holland for the pick. And also Josh Boyer said today, Two weeks in is never a finished product. He said there's good things to build on. I expect we'll see Jalen Phillips get more and more comfortable. We also haven't really had Van Ginkle that often. Just seven snaps in the opener, none on Sunday in Baltimore. He's been nothing but productive when he's available, working back from that appendix injury. So yeah, I do think it'll improve as we go along here. Charlie K 309 asks, My take is that if our O-line gives two a time, we can match them scoring-wise and win this. If we struggle there, we have to keep an extra guy in to block. How does that change the offense? Great question. The three backs, and Mostert, Edmonds, and Ingold, the ones that have played the most, really present value in all three phases of the game. Ball carriers, pass pro, and, and pass protection. I almost said pass rush. Uh, in the passing game, you have 18 pass blocking snaps among the three of them, just one hurry allowed. They are third and fourth in the team, the receivers, or the running backs, I should say, Alec Ingold sixth in receiving yardage. They've combined for 12 catches for a buck 15. Big fan of how they've moved Tua, changed his launch points, slid protection, and just really found a way to make sure they have answers for where most of the immediate danger, like pressures and free runners, come from in the middle out. Uh, middle out. If it is a lot of backs in the backfield to help with that, that means the Bills are committing extra rushers, and that means if we have precise pre-snap reads with accuracy in the passing game, that's how you get big explosive plays in the second level, kind of the way you shoot teams out of zone in basketball, right? Just shoot them out of it, and they'll go man-to-man. All hands on deck. We need everybody on their A game playing smart, complimentary football. On Sunday, at Proof Panis. Very close to a bad one there, sir. Which Dolphins player, past or present, would you most likely to celebrate Victory Monday with next week? Uh, easy for me. Ricky Williams. For several reasons, mainly because of how he viewed the world, but also in so many ways represented the idea of being misrepresented, if that makes sense. Like in terms of people thinking his other interests meant that football wasn't that important to him. But when you talk to anyone who knows Ricky, football was the thing to him. He loved it. He worked his butt off. 
So I think we would vibe pretty well, and I really just want to hear his thoughts on each game again because unbeknownst to the casual football fan, he has an absolutely beautiful football mind. We'll do more mailbag on MiamiDolphins.com. That should post sometime on Friday. Let's go ahead and finish up real quickly here with the college three-pack. 15th ranked Oregon travels to Martin Stadium, the toughest stadium to play at in the Pac-12, the Washington State Cougars. Cameron Ward can play. He's an eligible quarterback, but I hope he stays in Pullman because I think that we're going to win a lot of football games if he's the quarterback there. And in my entirely unbiased opinion, I'm picking the upset here. Give me WSU who whooped Wisconsin and controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football for 60 minutes in that game. I think they can do the same thing to Oregon. The prospects in this game, Washington State, Cameron's Ward, Cameron Ward, and Jarrett Kingston, the offensive guard. Oregon has a lot more. Uh, Noah Sewell should be linebacker one this year. Justin Flo is right behind him, just has some injury issues in his career. Cornerbacks Christian Gonzalez and Dante Manning are both elite athletes. Defensive tackle Brandon Dorless is a beast. Offensive tackle TJ Bass and center Alex Forsyth. They have tons of dudes in that Oregon team. Watch their O-line and their defensive backfield and their linebackers, basically. Number five, Clemson, 15, Wake Forest. I like the upset here. Give me the uh, Demon Deacons. Clemson has a bunch of dudes. That D-line, is they are D-line you. Brian Breesey is going to be a top 10 pick next year. Miles Murphy, the defensive end, is a really good player. Tyler Davis, they have a linebacker, Trenton Simpson, who's super athletic. And offensive tackle Walker Parks is an absolute monster. Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman can deal. Safety Nick Anderson, wide receiver A.T. Perry. Some names to keep an eye on there. And then with my man, JT Santos, in the video department, as well as Josh Lane, our other video guy, two Florida Gator products. We're surrounded by Gators out here, man. Seth Levitt as well. I know you're listening to Big Seth. Tons of Gators in the house. Uh, Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson's my guy. He's QB1 for me still, despite the fact that he's a little bit inconsistent. I think experience is going to put him high up on the map after he gets some games under his belt. Defensive tackle, uh, Gervon Dexter Sr., which is crazy. He's a senior already. Um, He's a big-time defensive tackle. Outside linebacker, Brenton Cox is a monster pass rusher, and I love their guard, Osiris Torrance. He is a monster of a a road-grading type of blocker. Tennessee has quarterback Hendon Hooker is a good-looking player. Offensive tackle, Darnell Wright, and wide receiver, Cedric Tillman. Give me the Gators in that game. I'm taking AR to help that team really go far this year. All right, guys, that's going to be my time on the podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. Our Twitter Spaces show every Wednesday. Last week was absolutely banging. This week, I should say. Uh, Your boy was on his game in that space. Go check it out. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities. Dolphins today, some drive time and Fish Tank content up there as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy, I'm coming home. Daughtry.